ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him i bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger <clears throat> i'd like to begin in this our sixth lecture in the series of lectures concerning the sciences of hadith based upon the brief essay of sheikh suhaib hasan abdul ghafar hafizahullah may allah protect and preserve him in his book entitled al-ma'rifa fi ulum al-hadith or an introduction to the science of hadith and as we have been going along uh, chapter by chapter in this book after some introductory lectures concerning uh, the things related to the foundations of the science of hadith and in the previous lectures or in the last two lectures we began to uh, with section b of the book the classification of hadith number 1 according to the reference to a particular authority that is the classification of hadith based on who the statement or action has been attributed to that was the first classification under section b and in that section we dealt with the hadith which is referred to as marfu'un the elevated hadith or that which is raised or attributed to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam a statement or action that has been attributed directly So the messenger of Allah is referred to as al-marfu' and the second type under that grouping was al-mawquf stopped or that which it doesn't go beyond the companion the sahabi that is it is a statement or action or approval attributed to a companion of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam wa radiyallahu anhum ajma'in it's called al-mawquf yani a, a sahabi says something he doesn't say that it is a statement of the prophet but it is his own statement and the third category under that grouping was al-maqtu' severed or that which is cut off and it means a narration from a successor a tabi'un one of the tabi'un yani one of the students of the sahaba the next grouping which we talked about in the last lecture before uh, my traveling it was the second grouping under section b the classification of hadith according to the links in the isnad yani according to whether or not the chain of narrators is complete and unbroken or if it is broken and how is the break in that chain and the first type of hadith that the sheikh mentions is al musnad and we said that a musnad hadith is a hadith that has two characteristics number 1 it has a complete chain going back to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and number 
it is attributed to him, to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yani the chain is unbroken and it's attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. An unbroken chain is known as Muttasil, Muttasil. And it has a complete unbroken chain. And that which is attributed to the Prophet, we just mentioned, it is Al-Marfu'ah. Uh, then he mentions the terms Munqati'ah, Mu'adal, and Mu'allaq, and Mursal. And he says that the Mursal hadith it is the hadith which has a break. All of these, these types here, the following types are, are hadith which have a break in the chain of narrators. And there is a missing link or more than one missing link. And based on uh, whether or not it is one missing link or more than one, whether or not the broken chain or the missing link is consecutive or in different places, whether or not it's at the beginning of the chain of narrators, as a point of the Sahabi who narrated from the Prophet ﷺ, or if it's at the end, as a point of the scholar of hadith who collected the hadith, these various terminologies are used. And we said that munqati'a in general, it means that there's a break in the chain. If that break in the chain is in the beginning of the chain, yani at the time, at the point where it is attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, and the missing link is at the point of the tabi'i who narrates a hadith directly from the Prophet ﷺ. He doesn't say who is the sahabi that he heard it from, a tabi'i. He doesn't say who he heard it from. And of course the tabi'un, they, they didn't meet the Prophet and they didn't hear hadith from him. So if a tabi'i says, Qala Rasul ﷺ, then we have to know who did he hear it from. So that type of hadith where the, the Sahabi is not mentioning hadith we said is Mursal. If it is broken from the other end, like the point at the end of the chain, where Al-Imam Muslim or Abu Dawood or Al-Tirmidhi or Al-Bukhari, where they actually left out some links from the chain from their side, that's called Mu'allaq. And if it has two consecutive breaks, yani two links missing, but consecutive, not in different places, that's called Mu'adal. Otherwise, Munqati'ah, it is a general expression for a broken chain. But when it is in the beginning, at the point of Sahabi, it's called Mursal. If it's at the end, at the point of the collector of the hadith, like Al-Bukhari or Muslim, it's called Mu'allaq. And if it has more than one missing link, consecutive, then it's called Mu'adil. These are some of the expressions that we discussed previously and we also discussed in some detail the Mursal Hadith uh, and we said that the Mursal Hadith actually the Shaykh mentioned a long discussion concerning it and we didn't read the whole of the discussion from the book so this is where we left off at and we will continue here at the discussion of the Mursal Hadith remembering that the Mursal Hadith is the Hadith where the link or link, it might be one or more than one, is missing at the point in the chain where a tabi'i reports something from the Prophet We don't know. Is the one, the one who is missing, is it a sahabi? Or is it a tabi'i and a sahabi? And perhaps the tabi'i, he heard it from another tabi'i like himself who heard it from a sahabi. Or perhaps he heard it directly from a sahabi who heard it from the Prophet and depending on whether or not there's only a Sahabi missing or there may be others who are missing, this is how uh, the scholars 
determine whether or not that hadith should be classified as weak or uh, authentic. Normally, any hadith that has a missing link, a break in the chain, because we don't know who is missing, we don't know if that person is a reliable reporter or not, for that reason the hadith would be considered da'if. The exception to this general rule, the general rule is that whenever there is a missing link, the hadith is classified as da'if, weak. The exception to it is the mursal hadith, because the mursal hadith has the possibility that the missing link might be a sahabi, or it might be a sahabi and someone else. If it is a Sahabi, the Hadith would be considered Sahih because the Sahabi, all of, all of the Sahaba are considered as reliable, acceptable reporters. As long as the rest of the chain is correct, complete with reliable reporters, if the only one that's missing is a Sahabi, the Hadith is okay. But because there's the possibility that a Tabi'i student of the Sahaba may not have heard it directly from a Sahabi, but he may have heard it from another Tabi'i who heard it from a Sahabi, in that case, that Tabi'i could be a reliable reporter or unreliable reporter and in this, for this reason uh, it is generally considered to be a questionable hadith. Some of the scholars accepted it and some of them rejected it and some of them set conditions for it and that's what we discussed briefly at the end of the last dars, the last uh, lecture and that's what there's some detail discussed here in the book concerning the Mursal hadith and the Sheikh said here on page 14 in my uh, photocopied edition. I don't know in the new edition is, is the paging the same, but it's under uh, section B, under those hadith, um, the, uh, the second one according to the links in the Isnad, which mentions Musnad and then it mentions Mursal, Munqatiya, Mu'adal, Mu'allaq, and finally the chapter or the sub chapter of authenticity of a Mursal hadith. Whether or not the Mursal Hadith is considered authentic. And this is very important because there is a big difference of opinion amongst the scholars about the Mursal Hadith. If anyone, if any of the scholars said about a certain Hadith that the Hadith is Munqatiya, we would say it's Da'if. If they said it's Mu'adal, we would say it's Da'if. If they said it's Mu'alla, we would say it's Da'if. Because there is a missing chain. But when they say Mursal, we have to examine it. In fact, actually, the Mu'allaq Hadith those hadith also have some detailed discussion which we don't have the chance now to discuss in detail but I'll just mention in passing that the Mu'allaq hadith if it is in Al-Bukhari the Sahih Al-Bukhari or the Sahih Muslim then there are some conditions it may be authentic and it may be, it may be considered as Sahih it may be considered as Hassan and even in some rare cases it might be considered as Da'if in some rare occasions but uh, this is a separate topic altogether, the Mu'allaq in the Sahihain, Al-Bukhari and Muslim. In any case, we are talking about Mursal now, and Mursal, uh, it means a Tabi'i, student of Sahaba, narrates something directly from the Prophet ﷺ, and obviously there's a missing link, because he didn't meet the Prophet, he didn't hear from him, he didn't see him or witness anything from him. And the Shaykh says, authenticity of the Mursal hadith. There has been a great deal of discussion amongst the scholars regarding the authenticity of the Mursal Hadith. Plural, Marathil. Yani the plural of Mursal is Marathil. Since it is quite probable that a successor, a Tabi'i, might have omitted two names. Those of an elder successor, elder Tabi'i, 
and as well a companion rather than just one name that of a companion yani there are two possibilities that he just left out one name a sahabi or he may have left out two names a sahabi and also another tabi who he heard the hadith from this is where the yani discussion about its authenticity comes in if a successor tabi'i is known to have omitted the name of a companion only then the hadith is held to be authentic for a successor can only report from the prophet sallallahu alaihi through a companion yani he cannot report directly from himself he is not a sahabi he is a successor a tabi'i the omission of the name of the companion does not affect the authenticity of the isnad since all companions are held to be trustworthy and reliable by both Quranic injunctions and the sayings of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and in the Quran there are many proofs of this from them is the saying of Allah radiyallahu anhum wa radu'an that Allah is pleased with them meaning the sahaba while they are pleased with him and of the sayings of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam khairun nasi qarni that the best of all people are my generation meaning the sahaba However, opinions vary in the case where the successor, the tabi'i, might have omitted the names of two authorities. Since not all the successors were reliable in matters of hadith. Yani, since some of the successors may have been reliable reporters and some of them are not, whenever a successor has been omitted, then there is a question about the authenticity of the hadith. For example, two widely differing positions on this issue are Number one, the first opinion that the marasil of the elder successes, the elder tabi'i, such as Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, who died in the year 94 after the Hijrah, and Ata ibn Abi Rabah, who died in the year 114 after the Hijrah. The, the hadith which they narrated, which are mursal, these are two famous tabi'i. The hadith which they narrated, which are mursal, are considered by some scholars to be acceptable and authentic even though they didn't hear from the Prophet but it was considered by some of the scholars that these great tabi'i that they only narrated hadith from sahabi so their hadith, their murasil or their mursal hadith are normally considered to be accepted so he says here that their murasil are acceptable because all their murasil after investigation are found to come through the companions only. However, the marasil of younger successes, the younger tabi'in, are only acceptable if the names of their immediate authorities are known through other sources. If not, they are rejected outright. Yani, the younger tabi'in who didn't normally narrate from Sahaba, but narrated from the older tabi'in who narrated from Sahaba, their narrations are acceptable only if the names of those who they heard from are known through other sources. If we know who they heard from, from amongst the tabi'in, then we might accept their narrations. Otherwise, if we don't know who they heard it from, then we cannot accept their report because we don't know if the other tabi'i who they heard it from is reliable or unreliable. So there's a distinction between the younger tabi'in and the older tabi'in. The real distinction is that here what he means by the older or elder successes, he means those tabi'in who most of their narrations were direct from Sahaba. As opposed to the younger tabi'in who most of their narrations were not from Sahaba, but were from other tabi'in. 
The second opinion is that the murasil of successes and those who report from them are acceptable without any investigation at all. This opinion is supported by the Kufi school of traditionists but is severely attacked by the majority. Danny, the more correct opinion is that the murasil of the elder Tabi'in is accepted. Whereas this second opinion that the murasil of the Tabi'in in general and those who reported from them are acceptable without investigation is incorrect because we don't know who they heard it from and therefore we cannot rely upon that hadith. To be precise in this issue, let us investigate in detail the various opinions regarding the Mursal hadith. Now here he mentions a lot of opinions and it's not necessary to understand all of those opinions but just to be aware of them. The opinion held by Imam Malik Rahimahullah, who died in the year 179 of the Hijrah, and all Maliki jurists is that the morsel of a trustworthy person is valid as proof and as justification for a practice, just like the Musnad hadith. Yani, the scholars of the Maliki Madhab hold the opinion that the morsel hadith of a trustworthy person, a man who is thiqa, who is a reliable reporter, they said his murasil are acceptable as a proof and as a justification for action or practice or ibadah or worship. This is the general opinion of the Maliki Madhab. This view has been developed to such an extreme that to some of them the mursal is even better than the musnad based on the following reasoning. Yani, some of them went to the extreme opinion that the mursal hadith is stronger with them than the Musnad Hadith. The Musnad Hadith meaning the Hadith which has a complete chain going back to the Prophet Why did they say the Mursa which has a broken chain how can it be better than the Musnad? This is their reasoning. The one who reports a Musnad Hadith leaves you with the names of the reporters for further investigation and scrutiny to look at those people who are they? Were they reliable or not? You have to check. Whereas the one who narrates by way of Irsal or Mursal Hadith being a knowledgeable and trustworthy person himself has already done so. Yani has already investigated the chain and they know who they left out and found the hadith to be sound. This is their reasoning. They are saying that those people, if they left somebody out and they are reliable, then we trust them. Not the people they left out must, must have been reliable reporters. In fact, he saves you from further research. This is their thinking uh, and it's not a strong reasoning, but in any case, that was their thinking uh, based upon which they said the Mursal Hadith is stronger with them or better with them than the Musnad. The Musnad, you, you have the names of the narrators, but you have to look into each of their biographies and find out whether they are reliable or not. Whereas the Mursal, they claim that the one who left out those links has already investigated and has confirmed their authenticity. But this is only an assumption that we cannot rely upon to base our religion. The second opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah who died in the year 150 of the Hijrah holds the same opinion as Malik. He accepts the Mursal Hadith whether or not it is supported by another Hadith. Even if it has no supporting narrations that support its meaning or its authenticity. The third opinion, the opinion of Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah who died in the year 204 in the beginning of the third century of the Hijrah. In the beginning of the third century of the Hijrah, 204. And in the beginning of the third century has discussed this issue in detail in his Ar-Risala, his book Ar-Risala, which by the way is translated into English, although I haven't really examined the translation that well, but I looked at it and some of it is a little difficult to follow. 
Yani the translation of the technical terminologies in English is somewhat difficult to follow. When you look at it in Arabic, it seems to be clear, but when you look at the English translation, it doesn't sound the same. In any case, yani it's available in English, it's very expensive, and it's a very important book, but um, it requires yani, some looking into to see just how good the translation is. He says in his book, Ar-Risala, that he requires the following conditions to be met before accepting a Mursal Hadith. The opinion of Imam al-Shafi'i is that the Mursal Hadith is acceptable with conditions. With conditions. And the conditions are of two types. The conditions related to the Marawi, that which is reported, the text itself, and the conditions related to the Rawi, the one who reports the Hadith. And there are conditions related to the narration, the report, and there are conditions related to the person who reports it, the reporter. In reference to the Marawi or the narrative, he requires that one of the following conditions, one of the four following conditions be met. Yani in order for a Mursal Hadith to be acceptable to Imam al-Shafi'i, he said that one of these four conditions have to be met related to the narration itself. That it is reported also as Musnad through another Isnad. Yani the Mursal Hadith that he's looking at has also been reported, that text, that statement or action has also been reported through a Musnad Hadith, yani a Hadith with a complete chain. If so, even if that chain is not a strong chain, but if it's a complete chain, he said that's supportive enough to accept the Mursal Hadith which has a broken chain. Number two, that its contents be reported as Mursal through another reliable source with a different Isnad. Yani that the text of this Hadith which is reported Mursal with a broken chain, if it's also reported through another chain that's Mursal too, but from a different source, not from the same person who made that Mursal Hadith, but a different person who left out some narrator or narratives at the end of the, or at the beginning of the Isnad from the Sahabi, if it came from two different Mursal chains, he said that's supportive enough to accept the Mursal Hadith. The third condition, he said, that the meaning be supported by the sayings of some Sahaba or companions. That is, if that which is narrated in that text, the meaning of it is supported by sayings of Sahaba. That some of the Sahaba said something which is a saying of Sahabi, but it has the same meaning as that which is reported in a Mursal Hadith, then he said this also is supportive enough to accept a Mursal Hadith. And the fourth condition that one may look at to try to find support for Mursal Hadith according to Imam Shafi'i is that most scholars, the Jamhur of the scholars, hold the same opinion as conveyed by the Mursal Hadith. Yani, if the Jumhur or majority of scholars hold an opinion in fiqh that is, has the same meaning as what is reported in the Mursal Hadith, he said that's supportive enough for us to accept the Mursal Hadith. So one of these things that Mursal Hadith is supported by a Musnad Hadith with another chain that's Musnad or another Mursal Hadith from a different source or the saying of a Sahabi or the opinion of the majority of scholars. If any one of these conditions are found, it is supportive enough to accept the Mursal Hadith. This is related to the text itself. Then Imam Shafi also makes conditions related to the narrator, the Rawi, the one who reported the Hadith. He requires that one of the following three conditions be met in reference to the Rawi, the narrator or the reporter of a Mursal Hadith. Number one, that he be an elder successor. Yani, min kibar al-tabi'een. One of the major tabi'een. 
that is, those who most of their narrations are from Sahaba, not from the younger Tabi'een who didn't hear from Sahaba or heard very few hadith from Sahaba. But it should be from one of the elder successors or the major Tabi'een. Or that that one who makes, who narrates this hadith, Mursal, if he names the person that is missing in that isnad elsewhere, yani not in this chain, but in another place, he mentions who was the person that was left out in that Mursal hadith, if he mentions him in another place, he does not usually name an unknown person or someone not suitable for reporting from acceptably. That is, whenever we find out through another source that the person who has been left out is not a majhul person, an unknown, unacceptable reporter, or a person who is a weak or unreliable reporter. Whenever he names the person, we don't find him to be majhul nor do we find him to be unreliable. We find him to be a known reporter who is an acceptable and good reporter. If he narrates a hadith mursal, somebody is missing from the chain, but in another place he mentions who is missing, and we find that usually when he mentions the person who is missing, it's a good reporter, it's a good narrator that has been left out who he didn't mention in that mursal hadith, then he said this is also uh, a support for the mursal hadith due to which we can accept it. And the third condition or factor related to the narrator of hadith, he said that he does not contradict a reliable person when he happens to share with him any narration. That means the one who, the tabi'i, who narrates the hadith mursal, whenever he narrates a hadith, which has also been narrated by other well-known reliable reporters, who are thiqa, reliable reporters, when he narrates a text, a statement or action from the Prophet and it has been narrated by other reporters who are known to us to be reliable, good reporters. And there's no contradiction between what they report and what he reports. Then this is also a support for him, the one who narrates the hadith mursal. Because if we find that even though he narrates the hadith mursal and there's a chain missing which causes us to doubt its authenticity, but we found that there are other reliable reporters who narrated the same hadith as he narrated it then that strengthens his position and leads us to feel more comfortable that what he has reported is acceptable. This is what Imam al-Shafi said concerning the text of the hadith, that which is narrated, the narrative, and the reporter of that text or the narrator who reports it. These conditions, he said, and this is mentioned in some detail in his book, Al-Risala. In any case, these conditions are a little detailed and Dani perhaps require some review uh, in order to follow them completely. I think that we mentioned them in the previous lecture, in the handout for the previous lecture, which was dealing with Mursal Hadith. Today's lecture actually is dealing with different classifications, but we are just completing. We are just completing the section of Mursal, so it's not in today's handout, but it should be mentioned in the handout from the last lecture. On the basis of these arguments, Al-Shafi'i accepts the Irsal or the Mursal Hadith of Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, who was one of the major tabi'een, one of the elder successors. For example, Al-Shafi'i considers the issue of selling meat in exchange for a living animal. He says that Malik told him, reporting from Zayd ibn Aslam, who reported from Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, that the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam forbid the selling of meat 
in exchange for an animal. Yani he forbids the, ex- the selling of meat in exchange for a living animal. Note that this hadith is reported from Malik, from Zayd ibn Aslam, from Sa'id ibn Musayyib, from the Prophet. Sa'id ibn Musayyib was not a Sahabi, he was a Tabi'i. So there's someone missing here. It is a Mursal hadith from Sa'id ibn Musayyib. And he says that a Shafi uh, uh, mentioned this as a point of acceptability. Acceptability due to the fact that it was narrated by one of the major Tabi'een. He says after mentioning this hadith from Malik, this is our opinion for the irsal or a mursal hadith of Sayyid ibn Musayyib is fine, it is acceptable. So this is an example of a hadith which is mursal from a major tabi'i that al-imam al-shafi'i accepted due to his opinion that a mursal hadith can be acceptable if it's narrated from one of the major tabi'in. This is the opinion of al-imam al-shafi'i. The opinion of the fourth imam, al-imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, who died in the year 241, rahimahullah, is that he accepts Mursal and other da'if or weak hadith if nothing opposing them is found regarding a particular issue, preferring them to qiyas or analogical deduction. Yani the opinion of Imam Ahmed, like Imam Abu Dawood, is to accept weak hadith. If there is no other report contradicting it, if there is no other report in that particular issue which opposes or contradicts it, then he accepts that weak hadith in preference to accepting the qiyas or analogical reasoning of the other scholars. And in some of the scholars, if they didn't find an authentic hadith in a particular issue, then they made qiyas and they reached their own conclusion. Imam Ahmed said, no, I'd rather accept a weak hadith than the qiyas or reasoning of people. But here we should note that or here he mentions here by da'if here is meant a hadith which are not severely weak not not hadith that have major weaknesses but have slight weakness and those hadith later came to be known as hasan hadith any hadith which have a minor weakness but are supported by other proofs therefore we say that it's hasan hasan laghayrihi this is the kind of hadith that is meant by Imam Ahmed when he says he prefers the weak hadith to the opinions of men meaning the weak hadith which only has a slight weakness due to which it is very likely that it is an authentic statement not those which have severely severe weakness such as the batil, munkar or mawdu'a fabricated hadith since Imam Ahmed classified a hadith into sahih and da'if yani in his time he con- they considered the hadith many of the scholars as, as either sahih or da'if so that which today is called as hasan it came under the category of da'if in that time uh, rather than the classification to these three categories Sahih, Hassan and Da'if yani they only in the earlier time most of the scholars only used the two classifications of Sahih or Da'if uh, but these three classifications became more popular used in the time of Imam Al-Tirmidhi after the time of Imam Ahmed and these, the classification into three classifications Sahih, Hassan and Da'if is the preference of most of the later scholars of Hadith or traditions Hence the category of da'if in his view applied to a hadith which were relatively close to being sahih and included many hadith which were classified as hasan by other scholars. Overlooking this fact has caused misunderstanding about Imam Ahmed's view on the place of da'if hadith in rulings of fiqh and in matters of fadal al-amal, virtues of various acts of worship. And this is the same opinion of Imam Abu Dawood.
And many people misunderstood and thought that they preferred weak hadith in the absolute sense, without consideration of whether or not that weakness was major or minor, which is the wrong opinion or wrong understanding of the opinion of Imam Ahmed and Imam Abu Dawood and those who held similar views. Number five, Imam Ibn Hazm, who died in the year 456, rejects the Mursal hadith outright. He says that the Mursal is unacceptable, whether it comes through Sayyid ibn Musayyib or Al-Hasan al-Basri uh, or any, any even of the major yani Tabi'een. He rejects it. To him, even the Mursal which comes through someone who was not well known to be amongst the companions would be unacceptable. The sixth opinion is the opinion of Imam Abu Dawood who died in the year 275 after the Hijrah. He is the author or the collector of the book, the Sunan of Abu Dawood. He accepts the Mursal under two conditions. Number one, that no Musnad hadith is found regarding that issue. Or number two, that if a Musnad hadith is found, it is not contradicted by the Mursal hadith. Yani, Imam Abu Dawood, he said in his letter to some of the scholars in the other lands concerning his book, the Sunan of Abu Dawood, and the conditions that he used in collecting the hadith for that book, that if a Mursal hadith was acceptable to him, if there was no Musnad hadith with a complete chain dealing with the same issue, then he took the Mursal. And as long as if there was a Musnad hadith, it didn't contradict that Mursal, then he would still accept the Mursal hadith. But if it contradicted the Mursal hadith, then he would reject the Mursal and take the Musnad, the one with a complete chain. And in the absence of a stronger hadith, then he took the Mursal hadith. And this was the general opinion of Imam Abu Dawood in accepting the weak hadith which had a minor weakness as long as there was no stronger hadith available on that particular issue. And you will find in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood, often he narrates some hadith which would normally be considered as weak with a minor weakness because there was no other more authentic hadith found dealing with that particular issue. In the opinion of uh, Ibn Abi Hatim, rahimahullah, who died in the year 327 of the Hijrah, does not give a specific opinion about the Mursal hadith. However, he did collect an anthology of 469 reporters of hadith, including four female reporters whose narrative was subjected to criticism due to irsal. This collection is known as Kitab al-Maratil. Yani, here he's saying that Imam Ibn Abi Hatim, who was one of the most famous scholars of hadith dealing with ill uh, al-hadith, or those hadith which have um, hidden defects in them, he says that Ibn Abi Hatim had a collection of hadith of 469 reporters of hadith, including four female reporters whose narratives were subjected to criticism due to their being irsal, that the hadith was mursal. So this is perhaps an indication that Ibn Abi Hatim didn't accept the mursal hadith because those hadith he collected and he made criticisms of them. Also, Imam al-Hakim, the famous scholar who collected the book called the Mustadrak, the Mustadrak al-Sahihain. The Mustadrak is the book in which Imam al-Hakim collected hadith which he claims meet the conditions of al-Bukhari and Muslim. However, neither al-Bukhari nor Muslim collected them in their two books, the Sahih of Bukhari or the Sahih of Muslim. They met their conditions, but he says, since they didn't collect them, he looked for other hadith that met their condition and he collected them in his book called the Mustadrak. Al-Hakim is extremely reluctant to accept the Mursal hadith except in the case of elder successors, the major tabi'een. 
He holds on the basis of the Qur'an that knowledge is based upon what is heard directly and not on what is reported indirectly. In this regard, he quotes Yazid ibn Harun who asked Hamad ibn Layf, O Abu Ismail, did Allah mention the Ahl Hadith, the scholars of Hadith in the Qur'an? And he replied, yes. They do not hear the saying of Allah. فَلَوْلَا نَفْرٌ مِّنْ كُلِّ فِرْقَةٍ مِّنْهُمْ طَائِفَةٍ لِيَتَفَقَّهُ فِي الدِّينِ وَلِيَنْظُرُوا أو يُنْظِرُوا قَوْمَهُمْ إِذَا رَجَعُوا إِلَيْهِمْ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَحْذَرُونَ If a party from every expedition or every group of the Muslims remained behind, they could devote themselves to studies and religion and admonish the people when they return to them that thus they may guard themselves against evil. He said that this ayat is in reference to al-Hadith or the scholars of Hadith. This concerns those who set, up, set off to seek knowledge and then return to those who remain behind in order to teach them. Yani some of the scholars said this ayah means those who go forth are those who go out seeking knowledge and come back to teach their people. And other scholars said no, those who go forth are those who go out in jihad. And the others who remain behind, remain behind to study so that when the people return they will teach them. Both of those meanings are possible from the text of the Qur'an and the scholars hold either of those two opinions. Al-Hakim then remarks, this verse shows that the acceptable knowledge is the one which is being heard, not just received by way of irsal. And his opinion is that since there is a break in the chain and we don't know how that person heard the report which he is narrating, then it's not acceptable. The next opinion is the opinion of Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, who is one of the greatest scholars of hadith and who wrote perhaps more books on hadith than any of the other scholars. He died in the year 462. And he strongly supports the view of those who reject the Mursal. Those who reject the Mursal. Except if it comes through an elder successor, a major tabi'in. And he concludes after giving a perusal of different opinions about this issue. His conclusion as Khatib al-Baghdadi concludes, What we select out of these sayings, and after mentioning the various opinions of the scholars concerning the Mursal hadith, what we select out of these sayings is that the Mursal is not to be practiced, nor is it acceptable as a proof. Yani we shouldn't use it as a proof in our deen, nor should we act upon it by doing any action or any practice that's based upon a mursal hadith. We say that irsal leads to one reporter being ambiguous. If he is ambiguous, to ascertain his reliability is impossible. Yani if he's not clear about who he heard it from, how can we know whether or not he's reliable? We don't know who he heard it from when he leaves someone out. We have already explained that a narration is only acceptable if it comes through a reporter known for reliability. Hence the mursal should not be accepted at all. Since there is a missing link and we don't know who it is, and we only accept hadith from reliable reporters, if we don't know who we are accepting it from, we don't know if they are reliable or not, therefore it should be rejected. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi gives the following example, showing that a narrative which has been reported through both Musnad and Mursal, Isnad is acceptable. Yani if the hadith came through two different chains, one which is Musnad with a complete chain, and the other one which is Mursal with a broken chain, not because of the reliability of those who narrated it by way of Irsal, but because of an uninterrupted Isnad, even though it contains less reliable reporters. Yani if there are two chains, one which is Musnad complete, and one which is Mursal incomplete. Even if the one with the complete chain, Musnad, has less reliable reporters, but at least we know who they are, because the chain is complete, then we accept it because of that. Because we know who they are, even if their narrators are not equal in strength, in memory, or in accuracy, or otherwise. But we accept it because we know who they are. And the text of the hadith is, no marriage is valid except by consent of the guardian. Yani, there's no marriage that is acceptable in Islam, except that there is a wali, 
a guardian present. Al-Khafib gives two isnads going back to Shu'ba and Sufyan al-Thawri. The remainder of each isnad is Sufyan al-Thawri and Shu'ba from Abu Ishaq, from Abu Burza, from the Prophet This isnad is Mursal because Abu Burza is a tabi, a successor who narrates directly from the Prophet However, Al-Khatib further gives three isnads going back to Yunus ibn Abi Ishaq, Israel, Israel ibn Yunus, and Qais ibn Rabia. And the remainder of the first hadith is Yunus ibn Abi Ishaq, from Abu Ishaq, from Abu Burda, from Abu Musa radiallahu anhu, from the Prophet Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu anhu is the father of Abu Burda. In this narration, this chain is complete because Abu Burda narrates from his father, from the Prophet and his father was Sahabi. But in the Mursal Hadith, Abu Burda narrates directly from the Prophet and he wasn't a Sahabi. For this reason, that Mursal Hadith should be rejected. But because it came through other yani, chains which were complete, then it has consideration. The other two reporters narrate similarly, both of them including the name of Abu Musa, yani Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu anhu, the companion from whom Abu Burda, his son, has reported. Al-Khatib goes on to prove that both Sufyan al-Thawri and Shu'ba heard this hadith from Abu Ishaq in one sitting, while the other three reporters heard it in different sittings. Hence, this addition of Abu Musa and the Isnad is quite acceptable. Yani he's saying that as long as those people did it here from one source, it wasn't from one chain, but it was different chains. They heard it from him at different times. Then he said, this one is acceptable since it came in this one case with a complete chain of narratives going back to the Sahabi Abu Musa al-Ashari, radiallahu anhu, who heard it from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa The last three opinions, the opinion of Ibn Salah, who died in the year 643, whose book concerning the uh, Mustalah Hadith, the Muqaddim of Ibn Salah is the major book of Mustalah Hadith which we discussed in the introductory lecture. He agrees with Ash-Shafi'i in regarding the Mursal in rejecting the Mursal Hadith unless it is proved to have come through a Musnad route. Yeah, I mean, unless it came through another chain which, was, which had a complete chain. Ibn Salah agrees with Shafi'i on this point that a Mursal Hadith is rejected unless it has a supporting narration with a complete Musnad chain. Shaykh Hussain ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah who died in the year 728 classifies Mursal into three categories. He says there are some acceptable, others unacceptable, and some which require further investigation. And in some of the Mursal hadith we might accept, and some definitely we don't accept, and some we have to look into to see whether or not they are supported by sufficient proof to give them reliability. Number one, he says if it is known that the reporter does so, that is, he makes the hadith Mursal from reliable authorities, then his report will be accepted. And if it's known that the person who narrates the Mursal hadith narrates from people who are sikha, who are liable reporters, then we could accept his hadith. If he does so uh, from both classes of authorities, those which are reliable and those who are unreliable, we shall not accept his narration on its own without further investigation, for he is narrating from someone whose reliability is unknown. And if the person who narrates the Mursal hadith narrates from both types of narratives, those which are acceptable and those which are unacceptable. Then we have to look into it because we don't know which one he's narrating from on this occasion. Therefore we cannot accept it on its own until we do further investigation to find out in this case who did he report from. All such Mursal ahadith which go against the reports made by reliable authorities will be rejected completely. Yani if there's any Mursal hadith which contradicts a reliable narration which is Musnad with a complete chain 
then automatically we reject it because the Mursal hadith from the beginning is questionable. And we only accept it if it's supported. But if it's contradicted by more strong hadith or more reliable authorities, then it has to be rejected outright. And the last opinion is the opinion of Al-Imam Al-Zahabi, died in the year 748 of the Hijrah, regarding the Mursal of younger successors such as Al-Hasan al-Basri, Al-Zuhri, Qatada, and Humayr ibn Tawil as the weakest type of Mursal. Yani Al-Zahabi considered the Mursal hadith as the younger Tabi'een such as these famous scholars Al-Hasan al-Basri and Zuhri and Qatada he considered them to be the weakest type of Mursal because most of their hadith were not heard from Sahaba most of their hadith were not heard from Sahaba they were heard from others who heard from Sahaba therefore without knowing who they heard who was the missing link between them and the Sahaba then their hadith are questionable he said this is the weakest type of Mursal later scholars such as Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir Al-Iraqi Ibn Hajjah al-Suyuti, Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al-Wazir, Jamal al-Din al-Qasimi, and Tahir al-Jaza'iri have given exhaustive discussions about this issue, but none of them holds an opinion different to those mentioned above. And this is a summary of the Mursal Hadith. In any case, uh, an important thing to know about the Mursal Hadith is that there are those who accept it outright, which is not the correct opinion. And there are those who reject it outright, which is also not the right opinion. And there are those who accept it with conditions, and this is closer to being the correct opinion. That the Mursal Hadith needs to be investigated. If it is supported by evidences and proofs and other narrations, which lead us to, which eliminates the doubt which is caused by the missing link in the Mursal Hadith, the doubt that is caused by the missing link, if it is eliminated by other supporting proofs, then we can accept it. Just like any other weak hadith, which has a minor weakness, if it is supported by other supporting evidences, narrating the same information or the same meaning, then we can accept them. Because we are in doubt about it. We are not saying that a weak hadith is fabricated, but we are saying we question it, because it has some defect. But when we have other supporting evidences to support it, then we can accept it. And this is what normally is referred to as the hadith which is hasan. It is between that which is known to be authentic and that which is known to be weak. It is in between. So if it has supporting evidences, then we accept it. And this is the correct opinion about uh, hadith which have minor weaknesses in general, and from amongst them is the Mursal hadith. Uh, what time is it now? Selected it. Like Al-Imam Ahmed, or Al-Imam Abu Dawood, or Al-Imam Al-Nasai, or Ibn Majah, or Al-Bukhari, or Muslim, and so on. At every level in that chain, we have to look at the number of narrators, whether it is a large number or a small number. If at any point there is only one narrator, or at any point there is only two narrators, or three, or so on. With this consideration, the scholars classified hadith into mutawatir and ahad. Mutawatir and ahad. Depending on the number of reporters of the hadith in each stage of the isnad, that is in each generation of reporters, it can be classified into the general categories of mutawatir, consecutive or continuous, uh, or ahad, single hadith. A mutawatir hadith is one which is reported by a large number of people that they cannot be expected, by such a large number of people that they cannot be expected to agree upon a lie all of them together. And mutawatir hadith is a hadith that has been reported in every level, in every level by a large number, such a large number 
that we cannot believe that all of those people came together and conspired to forge a lie and attribute it to the Prophet That is unlikely under normal circumstances that such a large number of people would have come together and fabricated a lie. Therefore, in that case, because it's such a large number and it's under normal circumstances impossible that they could have done so, then we say this mutawatir hadith is an acceptable hadith which we accept without question. Imam Al-Ghazali who died in the year 505 stipulates that a mutawatir narration be known by the sizable number of its reporters equally in the beginning, in the middle and in the end. And at every level, at every level in the chain of narrators, it should have a large number of reporters. He is correct in this stipulation because some narrations or ideas, although known as mutawatir among the people, whether Muslims or non-Muslims, originally have no sawatir. Yani, even though now it may be something that's widespread amongst the people, but maybe in the beginning it was only it was the, that report or that information or that idea came from one or two people or only a few people, and later on it spread amongst the people. Therefore, we say that it has to have a large number of people at every level in the chain of narration, from the beginning, the middle, and the end. There is no precise definition for this word adad kabir, large number of reporters. There is no precise definition by the scholars that they have agreed upon. Although the numbers 4, 5, 7, 10, 12, 40, and 70, among others, have been variously suggested as a minimum. Yani some of the scholars said it has to be at least four narrators at every level. Some said five, some said uh, 7, 10, 12, 40, 70, and so on. The scholars differed about what is the minimum number. The exact number is irrelevant. Some reporters, for example, imams of hadith, carry more weight anyway than others who are their contemporaries. And not all reporters are the same. So the exact number is not what's important, but the important condition is that the possibility of coincidence or organized falsehood be obviously negligible. Yani, he means here that what's important in order for hadith to be considered mutawatir is not whether the minimum number is 4 or 5 or 7 or 10 or 40 or 70 but what's important is that the number and the people in that number are of such uh, level of reliability that the possibility that these people could have by coincidence narrated the same thing though it was not true or that they came together and conspired for organized falsehood. Yani they, they conspired to make a lie and attribute it to the Prophet the possibility that this happened by chance or by conspiracy is negligible. And yani it's almost impossible. If that possibility is negligible, and it's almost impossible that it could have happened either by chance or by concerted effort to forge a lie, if that possibility is eliminated, no matter if the number is 10 or 20 or 5, when that possibility is eliminated from our mind, then we say this is mutawatir. It might be 4, it might be 5, it might be 10. In some cases it may take 40 or 50 or 70. Sometimes if 5 or 6 people came and told you the same thing, you would believe it. Because it's something believable. But something else that's impossible almost to believe, if 5 or 6 people came to you, you wouldn't believe them. You say, no, I can't believe it. But maybe if 20 or 50 or 70 came saying the same thing, maybe at that point you might believe it. So the number is not an exact number, what, but what's important is that whatever number of people come, based on their number and their reliability and what they are reporting, the doubt is removed from our mind about the possibility of them having, by coincidence or by concerted effort, forged the lie against the Prophet When that doubt is removed, then we say 
that this has reached the condition of tawatur. It is a mutawatir hadith. Examples of mutawatir practices, any actions or practices are the five daily prayers. Fasting, zakat, hajj, and recitation of the Qur'an. These are all things that have been reported to us, mutawatir. They have been reported to us, mutawatir. The salat and zakat and siham and hajj. These are things that were passed down from the first generation of sahaba until our time, mutawatir, by large numbers of people in every uh, generation. Among the verbal mutawatir ahadith, the following has been reported by at least, he says 62 companions, but actually in most of the books of Mustala hadith, they mention that this has been transmitted from the Prophet by 70 some odd companions. 70 some odd companions of the Prophet some narrated, and it has been widely known amongst the Muslims throughout the ages, the saying, مَنْ كَذَّبَ عَلَيَّ مُتَعَمِّدًا مَقَعَدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ this hadith, this saying has been reported by more than 70 some odd companions of the Prophet. This is what is called a mutawatir hadith or a saying of the Prophet ﷺ. Whoever invents a lie against me intentionally, then let him take his seat in the hellfire. Or whoever invents a lie and attributes it to me intentionally, let him prepare his seat in the hellfire. A hadith related to the description, other hadith which are mutawatir, or hadith related to the description of the hawd or the kawfa. And here we should make a distinction according to the correct opinion of the scholars that al-hawd and al-kawthar are two different things. Al-hawd is the pond or the fountain, the drinking place that the companions of the Prophet would drink from on Yawm Qiyamah before entering the paradise. And al-kawthar is a river inside of paradise that would be given to the Messenger of Allah Wasallam. The distinction between them is that al-hawd is the drinking place that the Muslims, the believers would drink from before they entered the paradise on the day of resurrection while the kawthar is actually inside of the paradise and the water for the hawd it is actually flowing from al kawthar and this is why they are normally mentioned together the hadith describing the hawd of the Prophet they are mutawatir raising the hands at certain postures during the prayer and supplication for example is mutawatir rubbing hands over the leather socks over khufs yani al-mas' ala al-khuffain is mutawatir during ablution Revelation of the Qur'an in seven modes is mutawatir and the prohibition of every intoxicant also is mutawatir. All of these are examples of verbal mutawatir hadith and also other things that have been narrated mutawatir are the punishment in the grave and the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that whoever builds a masjid for Allah, for the sake of Allah, then Allah will build a house for him in paradise. All of these have been reported mutawatir from the Prophet this is mutawatir. The second category is the hadith. Ahad or khabr wahid is one which is, is narrated by people whose number does not reach that of mutawatir, of the mutawatir case. Yani, any number that doesn't reach mutawatir, then this is classified as ahad. So the hadith which have such a large number which remove any doubt about it being fabricated is mutawatir and anything, any number less than that is under the classification of al-ahad and al-ahad, this second category is further classified into three categories gharib, aziz and mashhur a hadith is termed gharib, scarce or strange when only a single reporter is found relating it at some stage of the isnad, chain of narratives yani, in the chain of narratives at every level, if in any level there's only one narrator, even if the other levels have two or three or four, 
But the least number in any level is what is considered. If in any level there's only one narrator, then this hadith is called gharib, and it's also called fard. Uh, for example, the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "As-safaru qita'atun min al-'adhab." It is an authentic hadith. It is gharib. Travel is a piece of punishment, and it contains a sort of punishment. This is a gharib hadith. The isnad of this hadith contains only one reporter in each stage, in each level of the chain, there's only one reporter. Malik narrated from Yahya ibn Abi Salih, from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in each of the levels, from Imam Malik to Yahya ibn Abi Salih to Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there's only one narrator in each level. Therefore this hadith is called gharib. With regard to its isnad, this hadith is sahih. Even though it's gharib, meaning gharib only one, in, some, in one of the levels, in this case, in all of the levels, there's only one narrator. Normally the hadith gharib are weak. The majority of hadith which are gharib are weak. But not all of them. Some of them may be sahih, and this is the case of a sahih hadith that is gharib. Although most gharib hadith are weak, uh, this one is sahih. And Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbar rahimahullah said, do not write these gharib hadith, because they are unacceptable. And most of them are weak. Most of them are weak. If you usually see a hadith, say hadith gharib, usually you will find that it is weak. A type of hadith similar to gharib is far. Yani this is another name, some of the scholars use them interchangeably, gharib and far. And some of them made a distinction between them. Far or solitary, it is known in three ways. Number one, similar to gharib. Yani the meaning of far is similar to the meaning of gharib. That is a single person is found reporting it from a well-known imam. Yani if a single person, he's the only one who narrated from one of the famous imams of hadith, then they said this hadith is fard. Actually, the more proper name to call it is gharib nisbi. There are two types of gharib hadith or fard hadith, nisbi and muslah, which in the handout is explained. The second one is the people of one locality only are known to narrate the hadith. Yani only this hadith was only reported in a certain area, like in Mecca or in Medina or in Basra or in Kufa. The people of that locality were the only people who narrated the hadith. So this is also called gharib or fard hadith. It is gharib nisbi. Yani in reference to those particular people, it's gharib because they were the only people who narrated from that area. Number three, the narrators from one locality report the hadith from narrators of another locality, such as the people of Mecca reporting from the people of Medina. Yani a hadith where the people of Mecca reported from Medina, or the people of Medina reported from Kufa, or Basra, or something like this. The people of one locality reported from the people of another locality. This is also called Fard or Gharib, Gharib Nisbi. Yani, it's relative, it's relative. As opposed to the Gharib Mutlaq, which means that it is a single narrator in the beginning of the chain. Yani, at the point of the Sahabi. A person, one person narrated from a Sahabi, a Hadith, and nobody else narrated from that Sahabi. This is the Gharib or the fard mutlaq, in the absolute sense, a single narrator. But if that single narrator came any place else in the chain, or as these examples here, uh, a single person narrated from a famous scholar, or only as people from a certain locality narrated it, or the people of one locality narrated from another locality, all of these are called also gharib, but gharib nisbi, yani relatively speaking. Whereas the mutlaq, it means the one that in the beginning of the chain, one person narrated it from a Sahabi. Even if after that, more than one person narrated from that Tabi or those who came after him at any point in the chain. The next type of Hadith of Ahad is Aziz. If at any stage in the Isnad only two reporters are found to narrate the Hadith, 
it is termed Aziz, rare or strong. For example, Anas reported that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wa sallam said, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده ووالده والناس أجمعين. That no one, none of you truly believes until I become more beloved to him than his father, his son, or his children, or his child, and all of the people, all of mankind. This hadith is Aziz. It means that at some point, at one of the levels in the chain, the least number of narrators was two. Even if in other points of the chain, there might be more than two. But we look at the least number at any point in any level in the chain, and this is how we classify the hadith. In this case, if the least number is two, then the hadith would be classified as Aziz. Concerning this hadith, the Shaykh says two reporters, Qatada and Abdul Aziz ibn Shu'ib, reported this hadith from Anas, Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu. Yani the Sahabi, two people narrated from him. That's why it's classified as Aziz. Two people narrated from him. And the two more reporters narrated from each of them. Yani Shuraba and Saeed report from Qatada. Yani one of the narratives from Anas is Qatada. And two people narrated from Qatada. And likewise, Ismail ibn Ulayya and Abdul Waris narrated from Abdul Aziz ibn Shu'ayb. So that each of the two people who narrated from Anas, two people narrated from Anas, and each of them had two people narrated from them. So it still remains as Aziz. Then a group of people reported from each of them. Then at the next level, a lot of people, many people reported from them, not limited to two. But we said that the least number uh, is what determines the classification of the hadith. If the least number is one, then it's fard or gharib. And if the least number is two, then it's Aziz. And if the least number is three, then it's Mashhur. And that's the last category of the hadith Ahad, Mashhur, a hadith which is reported by more than two reporters. Yani three or more, at least three, is known as Mashhur, famous or well known. According to some scholars, every narrative which comes to be known widely, whether or not it has an authentic origin, is called Mashhur. Yani there are two definitions that he mentions here. One of them is the technical definition, Al Mashhur Al Istilahi. It means the technical definition is three or more narrators in any level. Then he mentions another definition, it is the mashhur ma'nawi. The mashhur ma'nawi, it means that it is, in meaning, it is considered mashhur, but not according to the technical meaning. It means that when many people narrated that hadith, uh, then sometimes it's called mashhur because it became famous. A mashhur hadith might be reported by only one or two reporters in the beginning, but became widely known later. This is the, the meaning of mashhur, not in the technical sense. Yani means it's famous. Because in the technical sense of mashhur, there has to be at least three reporters. The least number at any level has to be three. So if at any level there's one or two, it's not really mashhur in the technical sense, but in the meaning, the meaning of mashhur, yani the yani general meaning, not the technical meaning, then some of the scholars classify this as mashhur. He said, uh, if one or two reporters in the beginning narrated the hadith but became widely known later, like Gharib or Aziz, this is unlike Gharib or Aziz, which are reported by one or two reporters in the beginning and continue to have the same number even in the times of the successors, the tabi'een, and those after them. And what he's trying to say here is that actually Gharib means the least number is one, Aziz the least number is two, mashhur the least number is three. But this is the technical meaning. There's another meaning for mashhur, that even if it had less than three at some level, but that hadith later became widespread, and they also call it mashhur, meaning 
that it was famous, it was widespread. For example, if one, if only one or two reporters are found narrating hadith from reliable authority in hadith such as Az-Zuhri and Qatada, the hadith will remain either gharib or aziz. On the other hand, if a group of people narrate from them, it will be known as mashhur. And the technical meaning is according to the least number. One, two, or three. One is gharib, two is aziz, and three is mashhur. But some hadith, uh, in general, the meaning may be applicable to it if it's widespread and famous, or many people narrate it later on, even though in the beginning only one or two narrated it. They may also apply the term mashhur to it, but that's not the technical meaning. The last statement the Shaykh says, according to Al-Ala'i, Abu Sa'id Khalil Salahuddin, who died in the year 761 of the Hijrah, a hadith may be known as Aziz and Mashhur at the same time. How is it so? When Aziz means at least two narrates and Mashhur means at least three, by this he means a hadith which is left with only two reporters in its isnad at any stage. Yani that, would mean, that means it's Aziz, if at any stage it has at least, the, at least two reporters. While it enjoys a host of reporters, many in other stages, then in that sense we can say it's mashhur in the general meaning, but not in the technical meaning, such as the saying of the Prophet Nahnu al-Akharun as-Sabiqun yawm al-Qiyamah. And we are the last of the Ummah who came, the last Ummah, the Ummah of Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, but will be the foremost on the day of resurrection. And the first to be judged and the first to enter the paradise. This hadith is Aziz in its first stage, and having only two, the least number of narratives is two, as it was reported by Khudayfa ibn al-Yaman anhu and Abu Hurairah anhu only. That means it's Aziz, but it later became mashhur as seven people reported it from Abu Hurairah. So it has the meaning of mashhur, meaning that later on it became uh, reported by many people, while the original technical meaning is according to the least number two, in that case it should be classified as Aziz. This is the end of what the Shaykh says concerning uh, this section. And for the technical and linguistic definitions of each of these terms, mutawatir and hadith ahad, and two types of mutawatir in wording or in meaning, we mentioned here the, also the divisions of ahad, mashhur, aziz, and gharib um, are given in the handout with some explanations concerning the rulings concerning these hadith, hadith whether they are authentic or not, uh, and some examples. So please refer to the handout. Um, before yani the next class so that if any questions inshallah we may review it briefly subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk if there are any comments or corrections or questions before we leave maybe take a couple of moments any questions especially about the mutawatir and ahad gharib wa aziz wa mashhur Alhamdulillah, the scholars of Islam, they have uh, devoted their lives to the preservation of the deen. And one of the most important foundations of the deen of Islam it is the sunnah. The Qur'an has been reported and transmitted mutawatir in every level by large numbers of sahaba and tabi'een and so on up until our day. But the hadith wasn't. For that reason, much attention was given to the examination, inspection, and preservation of the sunnah. And that's why the scholars of hadith were so technical and meticulous in order to preserve the sunnah from any uh, distortion or any fabrication. Now.